Scripture passage this morning is the 103rd Psalm, Psalm 103. It can be found in your pew Bibles on page 939, Psalm 103. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, as days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, Who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts. You, his servants, who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Thus far, the reading of God's word may bless it to his people. Will you pray with me? Lord, enlighten us by your Holy Spirit to understand in this psalm all that we have for us, been given to us. In Christ, help us to not forget. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if any of you have encountered this. Maybe some of you who take the, uh, the metro into Chicago probably have seen this. But someone talking to themselves. Usually when we see someone talking to themselves, we put a mental mark in our mind to avoid that person because we don't know if they're all right because they're there on the bus and no one's talking to them and they're sort of mumbling things to themselves, okay? But Psalm 103 actually tells us that talking to yourself is a spiritual practice that we should not neglect. Psalm 103 
begins with these words, praise the Lord, O my soul. So unlike other psalms in the Psalter, the psalm does not begin by expressing praise to God or speaking in the direction of the people of Israel. But what the psalmist says is, my soul, praise the Lord, O my soul. And he's talking to himself, and there's a reason why the psalm begins this way, and there's a reason why there's a lesson here for us. Because the psalmist says, praise his holy name, praise the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. And the reason why the spiritual practice of speaking to oneself, speaking to one's true core, saying, don't forget, is because it's so easy for us to forget, is it not? It's so easy for us to forget the goodness of our God when we're in the midst of suffering and difficult, when we're in the midst of, of great turmoil. It's easy to forget of the benefits that we have in God and begin to ask ourselves questions like, is God really for me? Is God really for me? Aha, but we can also forget, can we not, when we're in the midst of great blessing. When the bank account is looking good, when we just got a promotion at our job, when we are enjoying our vacation time, when we are not experiencing any difficulties, but life is going great. It's so easy to forget, is it not, even in those seasons, that all that we have is a gift. And we can begin to say to ourselves, I've done really good for myself. See what I did? So the psalmist here is telling us something that we all need to remember, and that is that it is a good spiritual practice to talk to yourself and to say to your soul, maybe even ask the question, have you forgotten the Lord, that he's the benefactor? In hardship and in blessing, all things come from his fatherly hand and for our good. And that's why this morning we're going to be dealing with this theme. That we're called to bless the Lord for all his benefits in every season of life. We're called to bless the Lord for all his benefits in every season of our lives. Good seasons, bad seasons. Meh, seasons, we're called to bless the Lord, right? And the four benefits that I want to draw out of this psalm, we could probably look at even more, but the four benefits that I want to look at are, firstly, we're called to bless the Lord for the gift of eternal life in Christ. And we see that in verses 3 through 5 of the psalm. The second benefit that I want us to look at is we're called to bless the Lord for the mercy that we've received in Christ. And that's verses 6 through 12. And then thirdly, 
We're to bless the Lord for the covenant faithfulness shown toward us in Christ. That's verses 13 through 18. And lastly, we're called to bless the Lord for the kingdom come in Christ. And that's the last verses of the psalm, verses 19 to 22. So let's look first at that first benefit that I want to draw our attention to. We're called to bless the Lord for the gift of eternal life in Christ. After the psalmist has opened up with saying to his soul, bless the Lord, all my inmost being, praise his holy name, praise the Lord on my soul, forget not all his benefits, he again goes on to speak of these benefits, and the first one is eternal life, verse 3, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Now there's a reason why these two things are put in the same contrast, aren't they? Forgiveness of sins and healing of our bodies. Now, most of us probably can grasp and understand, I pray, by faith in Jesus Christ, the reality that our sins have been forgiven. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we're told such great words about the forgiveness of sin that all our sins have been forgiven. We can understand that. We can grasp that, right? But when we read this word, heals all your diseases, we think to ourselves, well, there's still cancer wards in hospitals. Well, I mean, I'm feeling pretty frail. I'm feeling like I'm wasting away, getting older, not me personally. Although sometimes it feels like that. We can see at times like funeral services that this psalm proclaims the healing of all diseases, but someone's died. Someone's no longer with us. And what exactly does that mean? How can these be speaking of the eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus? And this is what I want us to get. I want us to understand because we're so often neglecting of this reality. And that is that the eternal life that we have in Christ is a forgiveness of sins, but it is also a healing, a restoration of our body that we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism that I am no longer my own, but I belong. What? Body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. This is why... Paul, in the New Testament, can say that outwardly, yes, I'm wasting away, but inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day. This is why we confess to believe and to know that even in this moment, as we have the gift of eternal life, present tense, that there is a greater extension of that eternal life that is to come in the resurrection, That yes, our sins have been forgiven here, our souls have been cleansed, and if we die before Christ comes, we will be buried in the ground. But God and his gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus has not only healed our soul sickness, but has healed our bodies because we are not just soul, we are not just body, we are body and soul. We are holistically as human beings meant to have both. We're not meant to divide those two. And that's why we need to understand that the whole picture 
of salvation that Christ has given us is not only a salvation of our inmost being, but it's a salvation of our outward bodies. And how do I know that this here is speaking of this eternity that we're going to have? Well, the psalmist continues. He says, not only do you forgive all my sins, God, not only do you heal all my diseases, but you redeem my life from the pit. That word, the pit, is used in the Old Testament to be a picture of the grave, the place of the dead, the abode of the dead. And in another psalm, David uses similar words to describe the hope of Israel. He says, you will not leave my body to the pit, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. And this is a psalm, actually, that Peter quotes in Acts chapter 2, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit to speak of Christ in the power of the resurrection. Yes, you and wicked people, you crucified Christ. But the psalmist said he would not let his Holy One, God would not let his Holy One see decay. And that is to mean that Christ was promised the resurrection. And that word redeems is the word goel. It's the same word that Job uses when he says, my Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. It's also the same word used for Boaz and Ruth. He's a kinsman goel, a kinsman redeemer. And it's meant to give us a picture of the fact that all things as they should have been left, if there would not have been forgiveness of sins, there would be a, an end of condemnation in the pit. But God has given us the gift of eternal life in Christ, our Redeemer, our Goel, so that we, we will not be left in the pit. Just as God would not let His Holy One see decay, but because He raised Him from the dead, Christ is a first fruits of the resurrection. And because Christ lives, we will live. Is Christ in heaven right now, a disembodied soul floating around on clouds? No, he is a physical human being sitting at the right hand of God in the heavenly throne room, and so shall we be. That is the hope. That's the promise. That's the benefit of the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. And the psalmist says to you this morning, forget not that benefit. Forget not that benefit. Verse 5, or continuing in verse 4, he talks about the crowns. Christ crowned, or God crowns you with love and compassion. And this crown imagery is one often used of that eternal destination, right? Revelation chapter 4, we're told of elders that surround the throne of God and they cast their crowns at God's feet, and that's what we're going to do as well. We're going to be given the crown of life, Paul speaks of. We've been given the crown of life, but the only one worthy of that crown is Christ. And so when we, become, we come before his presence, we're going to cast that crown at his feet. And verse 5 is a, a, a difficult way, a difficult 
phrase to translate. Many versions have different word orderings when it comes to verse 5. It says, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Continuing this theme of the gift of eternal life in Christ. The idea that we should be getting here is that this eternal life is one of vigorance, youthfulness, right? A way that we could phrase this would be that God is going to fill full your eternity with his beauty. He's going to fill full your eternity with his beauty. And that's the hope of salvation, is it not? To see the face of God in Christ Jesus. First John speaks of this when it says that right now we don't see him, but when we see him we will be transformed. We will be changed as we behold Christ. Think of the desire of all worshipers of God to see his face, to see his beauty, and to be made new by being in the presence of God. That is the hope of all people, to be in the presence of God. And this imagery of an eagle, I want us to think of a phoenix. It's a mythological bird, right? A phoenix is one that pictures the resurrection. A phoenix is born out of an egg. It grows old. It dies. It burns up into ashes. And then from those ashes, another bird comes out. That's the picture of resurrection. That in death, we receive life. And that's what the psalmist is speaking of here. That's the first benefit. Let's look at the second benefit, the mercy given to us in Christ. Verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. The, word, the Lord is a righteous and justice God, and we've spoken of this in the past, but we should not contrast or pit against God's justice and righteousness with his mercy and grace. In verse 7, God speaks, or the psalmist speaks of making his, known, his ways known to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. And then in verse 8, he says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. What the psalmist is bringing to mind here is God's mercy to Israel in the past. And he has in mind a particular picture, the way that God made himself known to Moses. In Exodus 34, Moses said to God, Show me your glory. Just as we said, isn't it, is it not the desire of God's people to see the glory of God? And God said, I cannot show you my face, but I will show you my back end. And so Moses was put behind this rock, and God passed over him. And as God passed over him, God said these words, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. In fact, this particular phrase, you could say, is like a creed of the Old Testament. It's like the Old Testament's Lord's Day 1. Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 1. It's littered throughout the Old Testament scriptures as a phrase that describes who God is, the God that they believe in, the God of Israel. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. And this was meant to be an image captured for the people of Israel that as they began to forget the benefits of God, they were to call on this. And to remember, the Lord is compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. 
Well, how is the Lord compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love? The psalmist continues. He does not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. I think as high as you can go, as far out into the galaxy as you can go. And he says, as far as the east is from the west, they are opposing directions. They continue as far out as you can possibly go away from each other. So far as he removed our transgressions from us. This is the mercy given to us in Christ. When we read Psalm 103, when we read these words, when we read of God's mercy shown to Israel in the past, we must remember that all of that mercy and grace given to them is on the basis of Christ. Romans chapter 4, Paul brings this question up about how the Old Testament saints received the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And we're told that he passed over, God passed over the sins of the past so that they could look forward to the Christ that was to come. And as we read Hebrews chapter 11 of all these saints who looked forward to the coming Christ, the work that he was going to accomplish, and by faith in him received mercy and grace. We need to understand that this is the same mercy and the same grace that we receive now as we look back to what Christ has accomplished. As we look back to the cross and to the resurrection and we believe on him who died in our place, who lived in our place. This all here, this expression of God not treating us as our sins deserve is a reality because God treated Christ as our sins deserve. The fact that we are not repaid according to our iniquities is because God put the payment on Christ. The fact that our sins have been removed from the east, from the west, is because Christ was spread out on the cross. That's how our transgressions were removed from us. In Christ. So people of God, forget not that benefit. That you have forgiveness. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That you have a heavenly father you can go to who loves you. Because of what Christ has accomplished on your behalf. So we've looked at the benefit of eternal life in Christ. We've looked at the benefit of the mercy given to us in Christ. But let's look at the covenant faithfulness shown to us in Christ. The psalmist continues and he says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Some people say that the Old Testament is void of any imagery of God as a father. And that this is really a new reality that Christ brings in to the New Testament as Christ begins to teach us to speak to God, our Father who art in heaven, right? 
But we see here that although it may not be as prominent in the Old Testament, the imagery of father is there. And when we see the imagery of father in the Old Testament as it's speaking of what we have received in Christ, we should bring to mind those great words of the Heidelberg Catechism that tells us that we are to understand that the heavenly father who is the creator of the heavens and the earth is our father because of Christ Jesus, his son. And that all the benefits that Jesus has as the Son of God are ones that we are recipients of. As the family of God, as children of God, as sons and daughters of God. Of even being able to call, as the author of Hebrews says, Christ our brother. And God here in this psalm brings to mind that imagery, right? The imagery of a father. How is he fatherly towards us? The psalm continues. The father has compassion on those who fear him. In verse 14, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The covenant faithfulness shown to us in Christ is a fatherly love expressed toward us in this contrast that the psalmist makes here, right? The contrast is this. He wants us to say, Here's what man is. Man is like an ant. He is nothing. Man is dust. Like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and is replaced, remembers it no more. Man, maybe we could take a picture from more recent events, is like a flower that's left out on the first frost, dead. Just like that. Nothing. It's like a little crumb of food left on the table that you just go, and blow off. That's man. And when we hear that imagery, we begin to think, What hope is there for man? What significance is there for man? How can God give any benefits to this lowly creature, right? And this is what we have in God's fatherly, gracious disposition toward us. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. What the psalmist wants us to see is we are without hope, but because of God, we are not consumed. We are nothing, but because of God and the covenant faithfulness that he shows us in Christ, we have hope. We have a tomorrow. We have a future. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with with those who fear him. God's hesed, 
his covenant faithfulness is towards his people in Christ. And it's unchanging. How long is from everlasting to everlasting? We cannot wrap our minds around it. We cannot grasp it. And as much as you might want to think that a road trip with kids who keep asking, are we there yet, are we there yet, is from everlasting to everlasting, it's not. This is God's love toward us. He speaks of, the psalmist here, of those who fear God, those who keep His covenant and remember to obey His precepts. And what we need to see here is we We don't on our own fear God, do we? We don't keep his covenant. We don't remember to obey his precepts. But Christ did. And because Christ did for us, and because Christ has now given us the Holy Spirit, we can. And we do fear God. We do keep his covenant, obey his precepts. Imperfectly, yes, but we do out of gratitude for what God has done for us in Christ, the covenant faithfulness that Christ has shown to us, that God has shown to us in Christ. And lastly, we have this final benefit for the kingdom come in Christ. The psalmist ends with a, an expansion of the scope of this psalm, right? At the beginning, I told you he's talking to himself. He's saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. But David, he wants us to see that it's not simply enough that he himself know that the, world, the Lord is worthy of being worshipped, of being praised, David wants us to understand here at the end of this psalm that it's all of creation that is meant to cry out to God in praise and in worship. He starts the end of this psalm with this picture of the throne room of God. The Lord's established his throne and in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. And then he says... Praise the Lord, you as angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you as servants who do his work, his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Everywhere in his dominion means everywhere. God's kingdom ruling over all means all. Everywhere and all. But we look around, right, and we, and we see a lot of this world still doesn't look like the kingdom of God. I mean, Jesus, you taught us to pray to the Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That could even be very well an echo of Psalm 103. David's saying, Yes, here on earth, in my soul, I'm meant to, to praise God. But you, angels in heaven, you're meant to praise God as well. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Christ, you came and you said, the time is at hand. The time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Christ, you said that if you see the demons being cast out in my name, the kingdom has come upon you. But there's so much of this world that doesn't look like God's kingdom. But it will. But it will. You see, there's this beautiful picture of the coming day when the kingdom of God will come in its fullness in Romans 8. And what I find so beautiful about it is that it ties together the new creation that's happened in our lives and being born again by the Holy Spirit which the scriptures call a new creation, and the new creation that is to come when Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead and bring his kingdom in fullness. When Philippians 2, Paul says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, if you remember, in heaven and on earth to Jesus Christ, at the name of Jesus Christ. And in Romans 8, it says that the earth itself is groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. And that's saying that even now, as new creations are happening all around us, as people are being redeemed by Christ, being born again by the Holy Spirit, and inwardly they're being renewed day by day, right? But outwardly they're wasting away. There's a correlation with creation itself, that inwardly there's parts of it that are being renewed day by day. But outwardly, it's wasting away, right? And that one day when the sons and daughters of God are revealed in all their fullness, standing with Christ in their resurrection bodies, so too will the world itself be renewed. And the kingdom of God will come in its fullness. Christ brought a kingdom. Even now, as we, the church, the people of God, go out into the, world's, into the world and, and live according to God's kingdom reign and rule, we bring kingdom realities in the way that we raise our children, in the way that we use our finances, in the way that we work in the workplace and say, no, I'm not okay with that. I think that's immoral. I'm not going to do that. We bring kingdom realities, but the kingdom's going to come in its fullness on that day. And the hope of the resurrection, not only of our bodies, but of the heavens and the earth, a new heaven and a new earth. And that throne room that the psalmist describes right here, the, the Lord has established his throne in heaven. That throne is going to come out of heaven down to earth. And Revelation says, now... The dwelling place of God is with man. People of God, forget not this benefit. 
that whatever it is that you may be facing right now, it cannot compare to the weight of the glory that is to come for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Whatever hardship you may be experiencing, even that hardship itself is working up a weight of glory for you that you may not even see now. When you're in it, you don't want it, but when we look back upon it, we'll say, that it was for my good. I simply want to close with the question. The psalm begins and ends, and bookends with the phrase, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And it brings to mind the question that needs to be asked. This entire psalm is all about reminding us of the benefits that we have in Christ. Do you know this God in Christ? This God described here in this psalm as one who redeems the life from the pit, who's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love who removes our transgressions from us, who has compassion on us as children. Are you a recipient of all these benefits? Because if you have not turned from your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ and his perfect and completed work by faith, none of what is said here in Psalm 103 is for you. You have something else that's coming for you, and it's not good. And so my prayer for you this morning would be that you would turn. Turn to Almighty God through Jesus Christ. Turn to the Savior. Believe in Him. Find forgiveness in Him. And receive all the benefits that we have in Christ Jesus by faith. But if you do have faith in Jesus Christ this morning, you're resting in him. My prayer to you is that as we've looked at Psalm 103 and as we've considered the benefits that we have and as we've called ourselves to remember them and to not forget them, that you have been strengthened and encouraged and empowered and uplifted by hearing once again what great of a Savior we have. And that you would have received in some way the grace of God through the words of God this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these words of comfort and encouragement. We thank you that you have called us to bless you for all the benefits we receive from you in every season of our life. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of the gift of eternal life in Christ. We thank you for the mercy you've shown to us in Christ. We thank you for your covenant faithfulness toward us in Christ. And we thank you for your kingdom come in Christ. May we have eyes and ears of faith.
to continue to not forget these, to cling to these and to hold on to these as we go throughout our life in this veil of tears, as we go throughout our life struggling against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Help us, Lord, to cling to you and to know that there is a future coming that surpasses all the things that we may face in this life with its goodness, its greatness, the day in which we will see our God face to face and be renewed and transformed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.